That's very much what I try to do. So when I'm here working, I try to be on mission. And when I'm there, I try to be on mission with family and not kind of be losing both battles, so to speak, by wishing I was somewhere I could be. I've got kids. And for those of you out there who have kids, I think one of the kind of most scary thing is kind of knowing what kind of a planet we're leaving uh, our children. How does that relate to the vision that you created in that moment in the hotel room with your, with your son? After those two years of thinking about it, and meditation and, and talking to people, I realized I really wanted to do two things. One was to make sure that every child in the world is getting enough love. The second goal that I had was... Let's imagine that we meet three years from now and your life was 10 times better than it was today. This only vision that you have shared. What would you be telling me right now? Agree or disagree? Is work-life balance even possible for tech startup CEOs? Now, in this episode, I had the opportunity of sitting with David Hartman. David Hartman is the CEO of Helio Additive. And in this episode, he shared insight on how to maintain a healthy work-life balance. We dive into topics such as effective leadership, strategic time management, and how to set clear boundaries with your team. Now, this is an episode for leaders who want to grow and scale at a high level. So make sure you relax, sit back, and enjoy. Welcome back to another episode on the next-gen tech CEO's journey, Scaling to Freedom. I'm Dita Delplesh, your host, and today... We have a remarkable guest with us. Yeah, thank you for the the very generous introduction there, Dino. I really appreciate it. Yeah, sustainability. You know, I, I think I, I've got kids, and for those of you out there who have kids, I think one of the kind of most scary thing is kind of knowing what kind of a planet we're leaving uh, our children, right? And and it's scary to think that over the next decades, parts of the world will be literally uninhabitable <clears throat> for part of the year because of heat waves and humidity waves and things like this, uh, you know, storms. I don't need to tell you guys what the impact of climate change is. But I think, therefore, it, it behooves kind of all of us to to uh, see where in our areas, in a small way or in a big way, we can get involved. And, uh, through my friend Patrick Sandin, um, uh, Singularity U and, and Sustainability Consultant, about... I would say eight years ago, I got more involved in the intersection between sustainability and digitalization. And this idea that sustainability is something we need to work on. Um, climate change is this really scary threat on the horizon. But digitalization offers us a tool set that could help exponentially change that situation. Um, and then 3D printing is one of those kind of exponential um, technologies that can just change our manufacturing landscape. Give you an idea, and I don't want to talk like monologuing about it, you know, but 27% of the world's energy usage could be saved if we went to some kind of localized, decentralized manufacturing approach. Because that energy just goes straight into, you know, large inventories, shipping stuff across the world. So, cut a long story short, um, 3D printing industry awards, uh, very prestigious, really exciting to be involved, uh, being on that committee with so many talented uh, people from the industry, all looking at companies in that space, seeing what is happening around sustainability and 3D printing, who's having the most impact, who could we support by giving them recognition so that in the future they can continue to make that impact happen. Yeah, it's a, we're just starting that process, should be finished sometime this month, uh, next month, yeah, and, and it's really exciting to be there. Michael Patch, who runs that, is fantastic, uh, and, uh, and it's going to be a good, wire, a good ride. But thank you, thank you so much for highlighting that. I, 
you know, recently I was at a lecture and they were actually talking about the importance of sustainability in the beginning stage of companies. Because one of the biggest yeah. challenges with bigger companies is very hard to integrate it. So I'm, I'm happy that you are taking the forefront here as a CEO, yeah, leading a startup itself. So you can be most likely a model of example of how this can be possible for future uh, next-gen CEOs. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm happy I'm having this conversation with you as well. At this point, what I'm really curious about is your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, you've had a, quite a successful career and they usually said that in anybody who decides to become an entrepreneur, something is not right up there because it doesn't seem like the most, you know, obvious part for us. So tell, tell, tell us a bit about your story as an entrepreneur. How did that took shape? Uh, I, you know, I think I'm, I'm always, I'm the kind of person people tell me no, or people tell me I can't do it. It makes me want to do it much, much more. Um, and it makes me angry when, when people tell me I can't do something or I can't achieve something. Um, I really enjoyed my, my, uh, corporate career was 17 years at one of the world's largest chemical companies, wow. um, super colleagues, great environments, fantastic businesses and, and partnerships and so on. And it's still something that I look back at very fondly. Um, what I really wanted was to have more significant impact in terms of changing mm-hmm. industries, in terms of changing, uh, things about the world. And, you know, when you're working in corporate, um, you're having an impact. It's very difficult to have an industry-changing impact. And with mm-hmm. Helio Additive, the opportunity came along to do something uh, industry-changing. I, at that time, a friend of mine said to me, he said, you can't do it uh, just because you're good at baseball doesn't mean you can play basketball, right? And I thought, well, you know, that's one perspective, but my perspective is... You know, like Kierkegaard said, uh, we're we're here to experience life. You know, it's 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 not a problem to be solved. It's a it's a journey to be experienced. And I'm going to go and, and make this happen. And uh, I'm really proud of the the team and the people around me that we've been able to get this far and, and continue to succeed. Mm-hmm. That's that's truly inspiring, and I can see that that took a lot of courage. Yeah, because. I'm sure that everybody around you may have been telling you otherwise. Yeah, I love the, the quote that you just shared from your friend. Is that because, you know, you're good at basketball, that means you can play baseball. And sometimes that can feel like that's the truth. So what I'm really curious about, what was that internal dialogue for you like? Yeah, making that adjustment. Because a lot of our listeners, they are at the peak of making that transition or they're starting that transition. So what was that internal dialogue was for you seeing that the outside dialogue was such on the opposite side? Well, look, I think it's really hard to to think back and, and kind of work out exactly what it was. I think, for, first of all, I'd done very much in corporate what I wanted to do. Um, so I, I kind of... I'd run those businesses globally. I'd reached the senior vice president position. I was quite, you know, I felt I didn't have much left to prove in the corporate mm-hmm. world. And that certainly was freeing because uh, it gave me the chance to say, okay, you know, your ego has been satisfied. Um, um, now it's time to do something a little bit more risky. And I think that was another part of it. I felt that my risk appetite wasn't sufficient. Um, I was, I felt 
people looked at me and said, oh, you're David, you're taking all these risks here and there. And I thought, I'm not taking any risks is my feeling. Um, and and mm-hmm. that was something that scared me, you know, hitting late 30s and, and being in a situation where, where I felt I wasn't taking enough risks. Um, but for me, once I made the decision or, or once I, I kind of started exploring the decision to leave and do this, the real trigger was uh, having this opportunity founding helio additive and i thought and i realized this could really be game changing for the industry this is this is something that nobody else is doing nobody has done um we could have a huge impact in slashing uh, the cost and bringing on price performing of digital manufacturing and, and it was clear that was an important thing and i thought that would be a worthwhile thing to dedicate the next decade to um yeah and so i went home for christmas discussed it with my family in New Zealand, came back and handed in my resignation. Um, and I was really lucky that uh, the team uh, the the team that I was working with, my direct reports, uh, my boss, they were all extremely supportive. Um, and, and then COVID hit. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> that must have been a, quite the roller coaster. Wow. Wow. <laughs> So tell tell us about that. What, what what was going through your mind after decided to make that decision, and then the pandemic was upon you? What was going through your mind then? Well, I, I think everybody remembers where they were when they realized that the pandemic was serious. Um, I, I was on a mountain in Peru, uh, just coming down. Wow. You know, we we'd had no cell phone coverage. It was a couple of days after my birthday in March 2020. We'd had no cell phone coverage. And as we came down the mountain, cell phones started started vibrating, and everybody was realizing that you know Lima Airport was going to close and borders were shutting wow. down. So I did you know Cusco, Lima, Lima, Amsterdam, Amsterdam, Dusseldorf. Picked up some stuff, Dusseldorf, Amsterdam, Amsterdam, KL. Picked up the family, and then KL, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, Shanghai, and went straight into quarantine. And. Um, yeah, it was certainly those seven days in quarantine. Uh, they separated the family, uh, so so I went with my oldest son. My wife went with our youngest, and really had yeah I think ten days of quarantine um, in that small hotel room. Um, you know, trying to keep my son and mine and hopes and spirits up, right? And and thinking about what was the decision, and and I asked for some colleagues to send me some stationery. And I drew a big vision board. Actually, both my son and I drew vision boards. So we drew a big vision. I drew a big vision board. Next five years, you know, what do I really want as my vision? And um, yeah, and and that experience really cemented for me that no matter what was going on in the outside world, uh, this was something that I needed to do. And and it was just so clear when I wrote that vision board. Oh wow! Wow. No matter what's going on in the outside world, this is something that I needed to do. And that that makes me curious. You you state that your big goal right now is to, you know, bring this game changing bring the game changing digital manufacturing process, simulation technology to the market. How how does that relate to the vision that you created in that moment in the hotel room with your with your son? Tell us more about that. So, so 2018, 2019, I was involved in a really amazing Scandinavian leadership program called Stifinde or Pathfinder. Uh, most, many Scandinavian business people will know about it. Um, 
It's, I, I don't want to go into detail now, but if you're interested, uh, Google Steve Finder, probably the most amazing experience of my life. And, and one of the things that I came out with from Steve Finder was both a roadmap, but also a clearer idea of what my values were and, and what I wanted to, what I wanted to achieve. And, um, after, you know, those two years of thinking about it and, and meditation and, and talking to people, I realized I really wanted to do two things. One was, and these, these are big dreams and they sound silly when, you know, somebody small like me, uh, paints a really big dream. Uh, it sounds very arrogant. Um, but I don't mean it that way. I know both of them are probably impossible, but they're still worth doing. So the one was to make sure that every child in the world is getting enough love. Um, and, uh, the thinking behind that was, you know, there are definitely, there are kids out there who don't have enough food, who don't have enough shelter, who don't have enough medicine, but there's, there's not, but there were people working on that. Uh, but when I look at, um, how separated parents are becoming from their kids, um, I think we're losing with time. Uh, bonds between parents and children and, and moments of love and moments of joy between parents and children. And that was something I wanted to work on. And then the second uh, value that I had, or the second goal that I had was we're, I think it's no question we've missed the boat on the whole climate change thing. I mean, we may be able to mitigate some of the worst effects, um, but we certainly won't be able to avoid the impact. We're seeing that now. And what that means is that communities are going to be more and more vulnerable uh, recently in New Zealand, we had big storm fronts come in um, in, the, in the first quarter and first half of the year. And um, effectively, road infrastructure was washed out completely in some of these actually not terribly isolated communities where it was up to a week before they were reconnected to the country in terms of, uh, you know, electricity and, and telecommunications and so on. And what I realized is what I wanted to do was somehow work out a way where these communities could become more resilient uh, to the effects of climate change. And it was clear that the, one of the strong ways to be more resilient was to have a local manufacturing base. When that big heat wave comes in and you've got 45 degrees outside, and if people are outside, they will die because of the combination of heat and humidity, you don't want to be missing a spare part in your power plant or in your air conditioning plant for your town. You want to make sure that your infrastructure keeps running because it's that infrastructure that is going to save lives. And you don't want to have to, you know, go on Taobao and order that part in South China and wait for it to be delivered. You want to be able to manufacture it right then, right there. And uh, for me, that was an example of, okay, well, what is holding us back from having that in communities? And that's largely price performance price performance of digital manufacturing, um, because it's the kind of small-scale manufacturing that we should be able to deploy in communities if we have the right know-how. So those are, those kind of two things came, came together. And on the children's topic, I, I started a series of children's books with a friend of mine uh, called Raddy and Bill. We're on eight books now. And uh, the point is to help children and parents have these shared moments of love and understand that beauty is everywhere. And uh, on the uh, helping communities uh, get stronger and more resilient to climate change, I started Helio Additive. Um, yeah, where we're now three years in with deep tech that is changing how digital manufacturing is scaled. Mm. David, I, I must say that you you are truly inspiring. 
as you were sharing, you, you may remember this um, quote. I don't know if it was Steve Jobs who said is that. I think it was Steve Jobs. He says, the ones who believe that they're crazy enough to change the world, they're the ones who are going to do it. Yeah, and you said something interesting. You said that, yeah, the goal may be impossible, but it's worth doing. Yeah, the goal may be impossible, but it's worth doing. And I, I believe that faith has brought us together because what, one of the thing, my vision is to create a world where every young high achiever has a high-performing mentor who's mentoring them. Yeah, in my head, that seemed impossible. How can I have every single individual have a one-on-one? That, that's not impossible. However, I, I've came to the, the, the realization that it is necessary to have goals that are impossible and inspired on this journey as an entrepreneur. Yes. It's very necessary. It's, it's, I w- it's a must, I must say. It's a must to have these goals. And you, you mentioned something else that really jumped out. Knowing your values. Yeah. Really becoming connected to your value and leading from that, that place. And I can see that you are the manifestation of what a next gen CEO is. Yeah, someone who values people over profit. Yeah, and who have a big vision for a better future that we'd like to create. And that's truly inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm I'm curious. Yeah, and, and this 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 is a this question is just a play of words and I, I wanna see where we're gonna take this. I wanted to imagine, David. Let's imagine that we're three years out. Yeah, we meet three years from now, and your life was ten times better than it was today, based on the vision that you have shared. What would you be telling me right now? Three years from now, so yeah, forty forty-five year old David. Uh, meets you <laughs> and uh, and t- ten times ten times better. Okay, let me let me let me let me try this. So yeah, it was really nice uh, meeting with you three years ago, and a lot has happened since then. I think the number one change for me is that I get to spend significantly more time with my family, and I found a way that we can. Um, uh, move the family. Right now, we spend four months of the year in New Zealand, four months of the year in Europe, and four months of the year in, in big city Asia. And we keep rotating like that. And it works really well for everybody. Helio has managed to optimize millions of parts in thousands of micro factories around the world. We have a thriving team in Germany and the US to complement the team that we have in China. And to uh, we're partnered with all the leading uh, digital manufacturing uh, providers, both material and hardware, but also the brand owners. And we're getting a lot of great recognition ar- ar- around that. Um, we've managed to bring hundreds of printers and, and thousands of materials onto our platform. And, and that's been really instrumental in changing these things. At the same time, one of the things I've had the chance to do is, is work in New Zealand uh, with local communities and start to bring uh, manufacturing into those communities, which is something that three years ago when we first met, it was very difficult to do because we were a small company. So doing side projects is something you don't want to do with a small company, right? You don't want to dilute your focus. But now, three years later, that's possible. Yeah. So I, I think those were 
that's definitely 10 times better. And the other thing is that Ratty and Bill, the children's books, made it onto the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, and were, and were, yeah, yeah, and they were featured on Oprah. And uh, yeah, that was a, a really big thing. Love man. <laughs> wow. Wow. No, what, what, yes, what, what, going back what, to 2023. And what, 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 what was some of the biggest challenges ahead? So what I'm hearing is that you have really created a great balance between work and family. Yeah, you create a really great balance between work and your dream and your passions. And you're able to balance that, that synergy between those, those different parts. What, what would you say are the greatest challenges in navigating that paradigm? What were the greatest challenges for you? Well, right now I do one month New Zealand, one month Germany, and one month uh, China. Um, and, and I just rotate like that. Uh, it means spending two months away from uh, the family. My kids are still young, four and ten. Um, it's not something I ever wanted to do. Uh, my father also spent a lot of time away from us with work, and I always said I wouldn't do that. Um, and now I'm in the situation where I'm doing that. And I think one of the downsides is it feels like I'm shortchanging everybody. Um, so definitely for Helio, it's not great that certainly during uh, some periods that the CEO is away for one entire month. Of course, I work. Uh, if anybody out there who is involved with Helio is listening to this, I work really hard during that month while I have a Gisela It's not like I don't do anything. But definitely it means not being face-to-face with the team, not being face-to-face with partners. And, and that's an issue, right? Um, so that, that's a that's a challenge. And, and we kind of, my wife and I kind of put a time limit on that and said, well, you know, that's going to work for maybe two years, but that's not going to work uh, indefinitely. And, and we have to find uh, some way to deal with that. And right now, I don't have a good answer to that problem. Um, so, so that's one of the, one of the challenges. Um, I, I think the other, the other challenge for us right now, you know, we spent three years working on what is really a unique and groundbreaking technology. And now we're in the go-to-market stage, and yeah. what you know, it's a, it's definitely a cliche, but I think it's true. You know, what worked the last three years will not work for this stage. So it's kind of a recalibration of what I do, uh, how I talk to people, how I interact with external people. The last three years was all about you know, do the science, build the tech, um, build that core technology team. This next period is very, very much about. Um, listen and talk to all kinds of potential partners and customers and distill the best and, and bring it into how we build product. So these are very, very different phases. And, and I think it would be silly not to acknowledge that it's challenging to make that transition. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just want to acknowledge you for, for sharing that because that's, that's one of the many, how should I say, that's one of the many evils of entrepreneurship. Yeah, I was actually having a conversation with a really, really close friend on my island, and they created one of the first digital payment system on the island. Yeah, mm-hmm. just imagine digital payment on an island that's alien, yeah, to everybody local. However, yes. one of the biggest challenge that the the founders faced was, you know, how how do they create that balance between the relationship that they have outside of business? Because when you're working on something new, it's like every day you you just gotta be going at it. So now I want to ask you this question, David. You know, what, what are the opportunities you can create? Yeah, if you show up with determination, knowing what you know now. 
can you can you say the question again, Dino, please? Mm, yeah, sure, no problem. What 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 are the opportunities you can cre you could create if you shop with even more determination now? So, look, I think being on mission is really important, and and like for me, when I'm in Germany or in China, um, I try to fill every minute with learning and with. Uh, opportunities for for doing and making change, because uh, I have to use that precious time as much as I can. Because I know when I'm going to go to New Zealand, definitely I'll be working at night. But when I have a chance to spend time with my kids, that is what I'm going to be doing and, and prioritizing that. Right. So I think you know Osho, Osho, you you know Osho, right? The the uh, Indian Indian guru. He said something that I really like. He said, look, all these people come to me from all over the world, and when they're not with me, they want to be with me. But then when they're with me, they miss home, their homesick, right? Mm. And his, his comment was, you know, when you're here, be here. When you're there, be there. But yeah, and, and that's very much what I try to do. So when I'm here yeah. I, I, working, I try to be on mission. And when I'm mm. there, I try to be on mission with family. Um, and 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 not kind of be losing both battles, so to speak, by by wishing I was somewhere I can't be. Yeah, yeah. And you know, one of the reasons why I'm happy I'm having this conversation with you is because these are the conversations that most entrepreneurs don't have. Yeah, but this is the reality that we face. Yeah, and uh, you just said something that is so vital. Like w when I'm with my family, I gotta be there with them fully. When I'm on mission, I gotta be there. And one of the biggest battles as well is really giving yourself that compassion that when you're with your family, don't beat yourself up because you're not doing work. Yeah. And when you're at work, don't beat yourself up because you're not with your family. Yeah, that's something that I've been had to learn the hard way myself personally. So that's why I'm happy that we're having this conversation. So, you know, entrepreneurs who are listening who's on the same journey can realize there's room for that. Yeah, and you can give the same compassion to yourself that you'll give to your team or you'll give to others. Yeah, and, and look, I think that's important because I, I think we're taught, so uh, I think part of the modern era is we're taught, you know, it's okay to work from home, everybody should enjoy great snacks in the office, uh, a yoga room, um, you know, 996 is bad, and there's nothing there individually that I disagree with. But as a startup founder and CEO and, and leader, um, yoga rooms and great snacks don't make companies successful. What makes companies successful is when people have their backs to the wall and work their asses off to get where they need to go. And... To do that successfully, I think you have to do what you just said. You have to, when you're off, you're off. When you're on, you're totally on. There's nothing in between. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. One thing that we've been learning about you as you've been sharing is that you're also a big practice of yoga and meditation as well. So I'm curious, what, what would you say are some of your biggest strengths as a leader and how does these practice contribute to you and the way you shop at work? Um, 
look, I, I, I think I genuinely, I'm an introvert, um, uh, and but I can fake, I can emulate extroversion reasonably well when I have to. Uh, I, I, I like, I like people, <laughs> even though they steal a lot of my energy. But I do like people. Um, I, I like, um, I, I like watching people grow and watching people develop. So for me, leadership is to a large extent about setting ambitious visions, coaching, and giving tough love. Uh, so, mm. you know, so, soft love is when you let people be weak. Tough love is when you kind of know where people's breaking point is and you push them almost to that breaking point, but you're sensitive enough, you have enough empathy that you don't push them beyond that point. And once you do that, then all of a sudden they can do stuff that they never dreamed of. They may not like you for it um, because in the short term that can be quite painful. But if you're good enough, you can do it without hurting people. And, and the results in terms of people's personal development is extremely powerful. And it also leads, of course, to, to good um, uh, business development. Um, yeah, I would say I'm a very positive uh, kind of person when I work with people. Um, I'm a bit impatient and, and quite demanding. I, I don't like when there's no action or when things take long and people can't explain to me why they're not taking long. Uh, I, I get impatient with that and I, I tend to move people along pretty quickly then. Um, yeah, uh, I would say those are, those are the main, those are the main things, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I love that the distinction you made, made between soft love and tough love. Do you have any practical example of where you apply tough love to maybe someone, whether it's in your team or a family and the, the return on investment, what it was exactly what you expected? Do you have any examples that you can share? Uh, I, I can share being on the receiving end, which I think is a, it's a, it's a fair thing. <laughs> to share. So, 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 so my, my boss for most of my Cavastro career was a very inspirational Taiwanese lady called Michelle Joe. She's now the CEO of Castrol. Uh, she hired me into Bayer originally. Um, uh, and then over the years, uh, uh, on and off was my boss and she was my last boss before I left. And she was the, she's the absolute master of doing this, um, uh, where she could gauge really well what people are capable of, even when they don't know it themselves. And over the years, um, she's pushed me out of my comfort zone so many times, uh, which then resulted in me um, struggling, right? But at the same time, finding a new equilibrium. And that's been a pattern. You know that growth situation where you feel like you're plateaued and nothing is happening. And all of a sudden, you have this this growth moment, right? And of course, in the background, growth has been happening, but you, you didn't really realize it. And so you felt it was flat and then there was this massive jump. And I think this this happens when you have somebody who is sometimes brutally pushing you to grow, but who also understands you and knows you well enough to see when you're getting to a, to a point where you might, you know, crack or, or break down or, or suffer some more permanent damage. Yeah. It's, it's a fine line. Um, but I think leaders who don't do that are shortchanging their, their team members. Yeah. Because then how can their team members reach their max? How can, well, there is no max potential. How can team members, uh, continue to expand their capability if they don't get that kind of experience?
yeah yeah and how how how, how important would you say mentoring or coaching has been to your development as a leader as you're on this journey because i'm hearing a lot of mentorship and coaching here on your journey as well how, how important would you say that has been for you personally it's huge I, i've been really lucky that i had the chance in my career to be mentored by let's say four or five unbelievably powerful people powerful uh, i don't mean powerful in terms of uh, financial powerful i mean powerful in terms of um, what they bring to the table um and um there I, I do not believe that i could be where i am now um without those people um and and that means what does that mean that means they had the patience um from when i was very young to sit there and listen and then guide without telling me what to do and and without um okay sometimes maybe telling me what to do but you know more help me grow rather than uh saying you know young guy now you shut up and listen to the wisdom of the elders right there was no coaching like that it was all it was all um uh, bringing me along and uh yeah and, and i think with with my leadership that's that's the same i i you know you you pay it forward right um, you can never pay that back to those people, but you can pay it forward to other people. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is such a firebomb right there. And now what I'm about to do, I'm about to ask some quick fire questions. Yeah, and you can say yes or no. There's no maybe. Yeah, it's either yes or no. And these are going to come okay. fast. If you start hesitating, I'm going to be you know, rushing you to to get an answer. Are you ready for this, David? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, so the first one is, do you think entrepreneurship can be taught? Yes or no? Yes. Is failure necessary for growth? Yes or no? Yes. Are free perks and benefits worth it? Yes or no, David, come on. <laughs> is work-life balance achievable as a folder? Yes. Should tech CEOs be on social media? Should, uh, uh, yes. Are mastermind groups worth it? Don't know. No, yes or no, David? There's no in-between. Yes or no? <laughs> uh, yes. Do you speed read? Do, do I what? Do you speed read? Yes. Have you pulled an all-nighter in the last month? Yes. Do you have a daily routine? Yes. Do you believe there's one right way to lead? No. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I hope through those quick fire statements, you know, our audience can get to learn a bit more about who David is on another level. And just before we end this conversation, I want to ask you, what was the one biggest insight you've gained from this conversation as we were, as we were having it? It's, you You make me think, you know, about the other people who are on the same journey, right? It's like we're airplanes flying on a track, right? And yeah, we're focused on flying our own airplane, but there's other airplanes heading to the same destination, right? And we might not see those people, but we can radio them. Um, and mm. uh, yeah, for, I guess, one of the insights and, and maybe to, to listeners out there, uh, if you're on the same journey and, and you want to have a chat, please reach out uh, and... Um, 
yeah, uh, there is an opportunity to share and to grow. Um, that was a great insight. Thank you. Yeah, beautifully, beautifully shared. And if this was your final message, David, and you wouldn't be sharing any other message with the world, what would your final message be as we're speaking here right now? Um, take the time to give love to the children around you. Uh, it's our one responsibility in life is to look after, um, you know, the Native American traditions believe that um, people are responsible for themselves, but not children. Children only become responsible for themselves later. We have a responsibility there. We have a responsibility to love and to love unconditionally. Wow, that's beautiful. That's so beautiful. And if anyone wants to connect with David and Helium Additive, where's the best place to do that? Uh, LinkedIn is great. Uh, I, you, anybody can connect with me on LinkedIn. Best place. Awesome, awesome. I'll be leaving all of David's information in the show notes. Thank you so much, David. Like, as I was having this conversation, my hair literally raised from my hand. Like, literally. It's such a pleasure to be speaking to a human being like yourself. You know, when, when I first saw your LinkedIn, I saw a lot about tech. But during this conversation, I get to know a lot about your soul. So thank you for sharing openly and honestly. Yeah. And let's keep getting it. Thanks so much, Dino. Yeah. Really nice to meet you. <laughs> You've heard the stories and strategies of today's top tech CEOs. But where do you fit in? What's your unique superpower as a founder? Now take off free CEO type quiz to unlock your leadership blueprint and gain insights to maximize your potential. Now go to levelupwithdino.com and take just three minutes to complete this quiz. Instantly receive a detailed report revealing your CEO type along with a personalized three-phase plan for achieving abundance and freedom on your term. Are you a visionary, a driver, an analyst, community builder, or self-improver? Take the quiz now and own your entrepreneurial journey. Discover what makes you tick as a founder and learn to lead from your sweet spot for success. That's www.levelupwithdino.com. Spelling matters. Make sure you get it right. Take the quiz and start leading on your term, your way. This is your key to freedom and go and get it. Levelupwithdino.com